and welcome to the human side of healthcare. We're going to talk today about a topic that is so important. As you know, we've got coming up right here on KRLD on September the 23rd at 6 p.m. I'm listening. And we need to talk about removing the stigma around seeking behavioral health treatment. We're delighted that we have with us today Sherry Cusimano, who is the Executive Director of Community Education at Medical City Green Oaks. Sherry, always a pleasure to have you with us. Well, it's always a pleasure to be here, Steve. Thank you for inviting me. Let me ask you, what do you think about removing the stigma around behavioral health? What's your response? Well, I think it's about time. You know, mental health is part of our overall health. I always say that. And really, it should be no more of a shame to seek help for a mental illness than it is to go see the doctor about the flu. It should be just as easy. There should be no shame around it. Unfortunately, over the years, there has been a great deal of, of stigma around a lot of different healthcare issues, really, if you think about it. You know, people used to think that seizures were demon possession, right? So mental health, unfortunately, has, has had a great deal of stigma around it, as has addiction. And the sooner we can accept that as being part of our overall health, and seek help for that and get help as soon as possible, the better off we're going to be. Because we all know that the earlier you get treatment, the better the outcome is going to be. You know, when you look at stigma, I almost put it into two different categories. The stigma associated with the individual who may be reluctant to seek treatment. But you know, Shame on other people if they frown on individuals that seek mental health treatment. We need to educate people, not for lack of a better term, shun people for getting treatment. Absolutely. I, I agree with you so much on that, Steve. You know, it's it's even kind of built into our language, right? When we talk about a situation that frustrates us, oftentimes we'll talk about it as being, you know, crazy or wacko or something like that. The term, as we use it, has a lot of negative connotations. Mental health concerns, mental health issues are not any more negative than any other health issue. You know, the the stigma somebody who has a mental illness feels around seeking help or acknowledging a mental illness, that's called self-stigma, right? It's where we, you know, we all live in this culture. We've received these messages that mental illnesses mean you're somehow defective or deficient. And so we kind of label ourselves and feel less than. But unfortunately, many people in our culture have, you know, will gladly reinforce that for us. In their language, in their actions, uh, you know, that, that makes it a whole lot worse. Totally agree. You know, for the listeners out there, especially the ones, as you know, since February and March, many people have been at home. They're getting frustrated. Some have obviously had economic hardships, etc. Sherry, if you see a friend, a family member, a colleague that really is having 
some type of change in their behavior, and you know that's something bothering them, how do you approach them, and what do you say? Basically, I think the kindest thing to do is to be both compassionate but also honest with people. And if you notice a change in behavior, you know, you see somebody who normally may be happy-go-lucky or doing well, and and all of a sudden they seem to uh, lack enthusiasm about life, they seem a little down and you're worried about them, I think it's okay to be a mirror for your friend and to say, you know, you don't seem like your usual self. Is something going on? And usually, if you approach it that way, people will respond. You know, if they're struggling, typically I find they'll open up and say, yeah, you know, it's been a rough week or, yeah, I have been a little down. And that kind of gets the conversation going. And let's say that they respond and they respond in a way where they do say, thank you for asking. I am having some problems. In fact, I think I need to get some professional help. What would you say then? I would say, hallelujah, good for you. (laughs) That may sound like a ridiculous response, but somebody said that to me once when I was in a situation very much like that, and I don't mind sharing that. Uh, I was really struggling and decided to reach out for help. Somebody asked me about it, and I said, you know, I think I'll reach out for help. I was expecting that person to say, what? Because at the time, I was a healthcare professional, and I felt embarrassed about it. I had some of that self-stigma going on. And that person said, oh, I'm so happy for you. I'm so glad you're going to reach out and get help. And I said, you are? Because that wasn't my internal feeling. I expected that that person would be disappointed in me. And instead, they were happy for me. I even would offer, uh, if it was a friend of mine, I would even say, oh, I, I would encourage you to get the help that you're wanting. In fact, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. If you want me to go with you, I'll be happy to do that. Just feel free to ask for anything you think might help out. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think that type of response being non-judgmental, but being supportive uh, is so important. As we pivot a little bit and look at uh, some of the serious, serious issues associated when someone's severely depressed uh, that could lead to suicide, if you're noticing significant behavioral changes, especially in family and friends, Are there any key warning signs related to potential suicide? Yes, there are. You know, when people start saying things like um, they quit making plans, they change their behavior, especially with adolescents. If they start withdrawing and isolating and pulling away, now, during the pandemic, I'm not quite sure how how you gauge all of this, right? Because we're all a little bit isolated, which I think increases the risk of some of these problems. Um, but again, I would address it in a, if I began to see some of those things. I began to see changes. Maybe the person was more irritable. Maybe they were pulling away. Maybe they were giving away items. That's that's a big red flag when people start giving, you know, acting like they're wrapping up loose ends, giving away possessions. 
making amends to people. I had a friend who uh, fortunately didn't commit suicide, but called and said, you know, I, I was thinking about something that happened several years ago, and I just wanted to uh, make amends for that. So I listened. But the more I listened to the person talk, the more I thought, you know, this sounds a little bit like this person trying to clean the slate to say goodbye. And so I asked the person, can you meet me for lunch? And they said, yes. And we met for lunch and we talked. And I said, you know, I'm a little worried about you. You seem really down. Are you thinking about suicide? And she kind of stopped and said, well, well, yeah, I've been, yeah, yeah, I am. And, and we kind of went from there, uh, she did go to a therapist. She did get help. She didn't commit suicide. Thank God. But I think paying attention to some of those things and asking questions and offering to help in whatever way you can is a good idea. Um, if somebody seems skittish at work, for example, I would say, you know, can we have coffee on a break or something and chat? and try and get with them privately and then ask them privately, is something going on with you? Do we need to go out for dinner tonight and talk some more? You know, just lay the opportunity out there for the person to share with you what's really going on and then talk about options. Have you talked to your doctor about this? Uh, have you seen a therapist before? You know, just talking about the different self-help groups. There are all kinds of ways that people can get support and get through those difficult times and just to kind of let them know you don't have to go through this alone can be very important. You know, you bring up a good point during that conversation. In the case of your friend, you had lunch and after a while, you just asked the question, are you thinking about suicide? Is right. that the right approach? I've had people say, oh, don't mention it. You'll put that thought in their head. Oh, my goodness. No, I have never had anybody say, oh, gee, I never thought about that. I think I will now <laughs> when I ask that question. It, it isn't that kind of thing. If people are not suicidal and you ask that question, what they'll say is no. Oh, no, I'm no. No, it's not that bad. I really but I, you know, and then go on to explain more what they're going through. It it happens real quick if they're not. But what if they are and you didn't ask? That's the risky question. You know, when you think in terms of suicide, and I know this doesn't happen that frequently, but it does, and then it becomes high profile. Suicide packs or copycat suicides. Can you help our listeners unpack that and understand what that's all about? Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a scary situation. And it does happen. I think you see it probably more it, it's kinda of like the Romeo and Juliet story, I guess, huh? And and yet you don't want to romanticize it that way. You don't want to paint it as, as a romantic picture, but that's oftentimes the picture that kids may have, especially adolescents may have in their mind when they're thinking about that. They don't understand that what they're thinking about is irreversible. They just don't have that concept yet, and so we see that a lot with adolescents. I remember just before my husband and I 
news to Plano in 1986. Plano had been in the newspaper, and nobody nobody's going to thank me for bringing that up that lives in Plano, but there had been an epidemic of teen suicides way back when. It was a little frightening to move there right after that, and really Plano is a lovely place to live, but that does at times happen, and I think it's important to talk to kids and you know, if you're a parent, to let them know that this is an irreversible thing. Uh, and again, if you notice a change in behavior, typically you're going to notice a change in behavior first. But to address that and get professional help um, before something happens, I think it's also important to notice who your kids are hanging out with. And if, if it's a different group or something's going on in that group that doesn't feel right, Pay attention to your instincts around that and ask questions. So, and, and I know schools do a lot of work with peer support groups and things like that. They have different kinds of trainings for kids that are kind of leaders in the school to, a, to support their classmates, right? I, I don't know whether they call it peer support or, or what the names are for all of those in the different school systems, but they have groups to support kids and that's something you can't really do, like, let's all talk about copycat suicide, right? That You just can't approach it that way. But I think it's important to talk about how we reach out and support one another. There's There are things for anti-bullying campaigns that can kind of get kids more supporting one another. And the other thing is never keep secrets. And I always, I used to be the uh, program director for the adolescent program, and I used to tell the kids, don't keep secrets from the staff, especially the dangerous secrets. If somebody is uh, planning on doing something that could be harmful to themselves, tell somebody. Care enough about your friends to tell somebody. It's not a good thing to keep their confidence if they're planning to hurt themselves and you keep their secret. You know, that's a good point, Sherry. And, you know, I, th I think back to, you know, when I was a kid and I went to school, everybody had a bully at school, but you had to deal with the bully while you were at school and then you go home and you have right. everything pretty well. Kids are bullied 24-7 with social media today. And it's tough being a kid. There are a lot of pressures. And your points are so important. Not keeping secrets is key to having open communication. You know, Sherry, I've asked you a few questions, but I know you're an expert related to removing the stigma, dealing with suicide, depression, bipolar, all of the above. What question should I have asked you that I didn't? You know, I just really want to stress the importance of there is no shame in getting help, please, especially right now, I think the pandemic has hit us all pretty hard. We've been through a lot in a short period of time, right? Actually, in a longer period of time than most of us would have wanted to go through it. Uh, we've been isolated. Our, everything has changed in our lives. So it, it would not surprise me to see somebody who has always thrived, done well, been happy-go-lucky, be struggling all of a sudden. We have seen that. We've seen that at NAMI. 
we're, you know, I'm the president of NAMI North Texas. So we receive a lot of calls from, from different people. Our crisis calls are up. More people are saying, you know, I've never struggled before, but all of a sudden I'm having trouble just getting up and doing anything. So great. You called us. We're so glad you decided to call us. A lot of people are out there struggling right now that haven't been through that before. 53% of the population, according to the Kaiser Foundation, an article I was just reading, are acknowledging that they're feeling depression or anxiety right now. Now, that's more than half of the population that participated in this survey are saying, I'm either depressed or anxious. So you're not alone. There's a lot of other people going through it. Reach out, talk to someone. The quicker you do, uh, the quicker you're going to feel better about yourself, the quicker things are going to pull together for you. We know early intervention is really a form of prevention. You can prevent so many headaches if you get help early. So the brain is part of the body, right? Right. And just like if we have uh, diabetes or high blood pressure, something going on with some other part of our body, the brain can be affected too. So when we're going through despair, reach out, get some help. The other thing we know is that addictive disorders seem to be skyrocketing. There's um uh, like a 13.3% increase in addictive disorders is what I just read. So we know that that's not a surprise. We know that when people are going through isolation, loneliness, change, and trauma, and a lot of this has been traumatic, right, that we're vulnerable to substance use disorders. So that's another thing. Get healthy coping mechanisms to help you through this, reaching out to people, getting exercise, taking care of yourself, try and do things that make it better for you in the long run. You know, you mentioned something in your answer there, just to help our listeners. Can you explain what NAMI is? Oh, sure. NAMI is the uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness, and there are affiliates of NAMI all over the country. Uh, there's a state organization in every state, and it's a it's a nonprofit organization that provides education, support, and advocacy for people when they need it, and there's no charge for it. So somebody going through a rough time can always call NAMI and, and get some support. It's not professional treatment, but it is evidence-based support. And that's a real safe place to reach out. Um, if, if you need professional help, that may be a whole other thing. But if you need professional help, NAMI can encourage you to do that as well. My final question uh, for you, Sherry, I've heard people, you know, when they had a blessed event in their life, like the birth of a child, and they said, yeah, the mother's a little blue, the mother's a little depressed. It's probably a little postpartum depression, but that's only temporary. But that still can be quite serious, can't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, if that goes on, that, that kind of baby blues thing, if that goes on longer than two weeks, well, you need to get help. I mean, then we we consider that to be postpartum depression is a serious, serious thing. We've seen several incidents of that where people didn't get the help they needed. And I, I think 
that that to me is really tragic because there is help for that. You know, there is a biochemical reason for the things we go through with mental illnesses. It's not a, a weakness. It's not just all in your head. <laughs> Especially after pregnancy, there are changes in your hormonal levels. There are all kinds of things happening, and you've got a new being, a new person that you're charged with taking care of, and it's not unusual to feel inadequate and to get down about that. And if that goes on for too long, I think you need to reach out. The literature says two weeks. If it goes on for two weeks, get help. I think it's I would encourage people to reach out even sooner and to get the support you need right away, actually, from family members and friends. In fact, if you know you're going to have a baby, I think it's a great idea to have, if you've got family to support you, to have them with you for the first week or so, if possible, at least part of the time, uh, to help with all the things that have to be done and consider the fact that you're going to be (laughs) sleep-deprived. With a whole lot of responsibility, I encourage women to get support and get professional help if the depression goes on for more than, I would say, more than a week even. Chat with someone. Terrific advice, Sherry. We always enjoy having you with us. This is a very serious topic. I think you really described it well. If it's behavioral health issues, It's health issues. It's all an integral part, physical and mental health. And to our listeners out there, if you're having any issues or problems, please seek the help within your community that you need. Sherry, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, absolutely, Steve. Thank you for inviting me again.